Good morning, brothers and sisters, and also visitors who have joined us this morning for worship. We extend a warm welcome to you all. We also welcome those who have joined us via live stream. As we join here together for worship, may it be our heart's desire that the name of our awesome and almighty God be lifted high and praised through our singing, our prayers, and also the opening of his word. May God's word speak powerfully into our hearts, confronting us with our need for a saviour and also comforting and encouraging us with the gospel of the forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory as elders only will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 8pm in the consistory room. And we have been informed that the candidate, Reverend Candidate Rodney Denboer has accepted the call extended to him by the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs. This morning's service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And before we begin worship, let's first sing together from Psalm 24, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the, the blessing of God. Grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. Let's sing together from Psalm 33, verse 1.
As an act of kindness, the Lord has given us his law to teach us about his character, to show us what he expects of us and also how we've fallen short of that, and also to remind us of what he's done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's listen to the law this morning as it comes to us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that, you may, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. It's in Matthew chapter 28 that the Lord Jesus was questioned about this. One of the teachers of the law came to him and asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And our Lord Jesus Christ, he summarized the commandments with these words. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of God's law. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 19. We're going to sing of the the delight of God's law, the blessing that we receive through that, a confession of our sins, and also receive assurance of God's grace to us. So Psalm 19, the verses 5 and 6.
Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, once again, it's a Sunday morning. It must be a day that gives you a lot of pleasure, Lord. You set aside this day and you, you gave it to your people as a day of rest and as a day of worship. And so this morning, it's early in the morning for us, it's over in New Zealand that the first people started waking up and they, they went to church and they started worshiping you. And then as the time zones go across, then, then the same thing happened in, in Korea and China in Russia, in Eastern Australia. And as, as time passed this morning, Lord, then, then there's more and more people who wake up and who go to church and who honor and glorify you. And we get to do that now. And as time will go on, then there will be more people who wake up. And slowly over the course of the day, you'll receive praise and glory and honor from your people all over the earth. What a special thing that must be for you, Lord. We thank you that you give us this time that you allow us to come into your presence, and that you allow us to worship you. And together with the rest of your church all over the world, we wish to honor you, because you are the glorious God. You are the one who's created us. You're the one who gives us this opportunity to have a day of rest and worship. And you're the one who wishes to bless us. Thank you, Lord, that the reason you call us into your presence is because you wish to remind us of your grace towards us. You wish to tell us of all that you've done for us in Christ. You wish to have some time that you spend in fellowship with us. Father, we're grateful for the love that you have for us. We're grateful that you're willing to take the time to meet with us. And we're grateful that we can also speak with you, that we can pray to you and we can sing to you, that we can give our thank offerings, we can confess our faith in you. We pray, Lord, that we're able to do so today in a genuine way, that we can have grateful hearts, that we're deeply thankful for the gifts of your grace, that we lift our, our hearts in high in heaven where Christ is, that we seek to, to honor and glorify you for who you are and what you've done. And then, Lord, as we come into your presence, then we're also humbled. We just read together your law, especially when we, when we think of the summary of the law, the purpose that you gave the commandments is that we may love you, that we may love the people around us. And when we're honest with ourselves, Lord, then, then many times we don't. We love ourselves. We're pretty selfish and we're pretty self-focused. And so we humble ourselves before you because of that, Lord, and we confess that, that we have sinned against you. Please forgive us for not thinking of you, for not honoring your glory, your majesty, your greatness, your power. Please forgive us for not living before you in the way that you intend us to, that we don't always depend upon you, but that we so often seek to do things by our own strength. Please forgive us, Lord, for not, for not using your name, for not honoring your name, and not using your the gift of your special day in the way that you intend. Please help us. Show us mercy for Jesus' sake. Please take away all our guilt. And also in our relationships with each other, Lord, sometimes we're loving, sometimes we love our family, and we, we love our friends, and we love our community, we love those at work. But there's other times where we're not loving, where we're selfish and proud, where we're greedy and covetous, where we're lustful and angry, and where we, where we sin against many people in different ways. Or this past week, we've done that again. We humble ourselves before you. We pray for your grace. And we ask for your forgiveness. Please show us mercy for Jesus' sake. And we wish to honor you for the, for the sacrifice of your son, that you love us so much that Christ was willing to do for us what we failed to do. And we look to him in faith, Lord, and we confess that Christ is our only hope, that we put our, our trust in him. 
Thank you for the words that you give us in Scripture, the words of Psalm 19. We pray, there, Lord, that you would cleanse us, that you would especially let us be free from secret failings and from hidden faults acquitted. It's often where most of our sin happens. It's in the, the secrets of our hearts. It's deep within us. That's where evil comes from, and that's where evil is first born, and, and it leads to sin. We pray that you would forgive us for that, and that you recreate us in Christ's image. And we also ask you, Lord, that you preserve us from, from the rule of sin, that do not govern our lives. And Father, we thank you that you are our Redeemer. It's beautiful that we can sing of that, that you are the one who has saved us, that you don't hold our sins against us for Christ's sake. And we hold on to that. We trust that. Pray that you would bless us now, Lord. Grant that we're able to hear your word. Grant that it finds a place within us, that it can be come across in a way that, that we understand it, that we can relate to it, that we're able to, to build our life on it. And please grant your blessing upon that. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I get to preach God's word to you. As we find that in Ephesians 5, there we have the, the next calling, this time for husbands, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved his church. And in connection with that, we're going to read two passages, first from Matthew 20 and then from John 13. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. Matthew 20, we're going to read the verses 20 to 28. You can find that on page 981 of your guest Bible. So Matthew 20, we're going to start reading at verse 20. There God's word says, Then the mother of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink, from my, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard of it, they were indignant at the brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's the first passage, and then I invite you to open your Bible. We're going to read together from John 13, the first verses of that chapter, page 10, 1069. John 13 We'll read together the verses 1 through 17. ( 
So John 13, verse 1, there God's word says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the the gift of God's word of his loss on 119, the verses 5, 6, and 7.
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to consider Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 33. You can find that on page 1162 of your guest Bible. So Ephesians 5, starting at verse 25. God's word says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So far, then, after the preaching of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 112, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, in Ephesians 4 to 6, the Lord is teaching us how to apply the gospel to our lives. Back in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he told us the gospel, that God has sent his son, and that through Jesus Christ, he has restored us in a relationship with himself. And now in chapters 4 to 6, he tells us about what that means, and how we're supposed to work with that. And it's really striking. If you read through these chapters, do you know the focus? If you take a step back and if you think about what God's really saying here, then you'll notice that the focus in chapters 4, 5, and 6 are on relationships. In the first place, in the first chapters, God spoke about how he restored the relationship between himself and us. And now he talks about how he restores the relationship between us and each other. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then he will give you many good gifts that will equip and enable you to have beautiful relationships with one another. And here in this part, he applies that to marriage. So maybe I can just ask you, for those of you who are married, how it's really going in your marriages at this time? Do you have a lot of peace as husband and wife? Do you get along? Are you close? Or is there conflict? Is there a bunch of division? Is there stress in your marriage? You know what the conflict often happens about? Often it's, it's about selfishness. It's it expressed in, in money. People fight about money, fight about sexuality. Sometimes it's lack of communication. 
It's not uncommon that there's, there's conflict because of people are selfish in their use of social media, use of technology. They're pursuing their personal interests. Sometimes it can be laziness. Some people are lazy. Sometimes it's pride. They're really proud. It can also be differences. We have different approaches to raising children or to work or to chores. Sometimes it's distress from the past. We don't deal with that, so we have anger issues and we keep score. Give someone the silent treatment. We're unwilling to reconcile. And the things that cause real distress are infidelity and addictions, our lying and secrets. What's interesting, most of that's already been addressed. If you take to heart what God said in the first part of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, then most of those conflicts will disappear. If you are completely humble and gentle with each other, if you are patient and if you bear with each other in love, then most of the conflict disappears. If you pursue unity, if you speak the truth in love, if you do what you can to seek the best interest of the people around you, if you're someone who doesn't allow the sinful desires of your hearts to dominate your lives, so it's not about your sinful desires, then a lot of the conflict in marriage is going to disappear. God's warned us against anger, against bitterness, against fighting. He's warned us to use our speech to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. He's warned us against drunkenness and sexual immorality and greed. Well, if you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if he is your savior, if you rely upon him for help, and if you live out the gospel, like he says in Ephesians 4 and 5, and I'd say 99%, maybe not 99, maybe 90% of the issues that you have in marriage are going to be dealt with. You're going to have beautiful marriages. You're going to love each other from the heart. Things are going to go well for you. And yet within that context, the Lord still has one more instruction. And he says, well, he says, if you want it to go well, he says, you have to understand your roles. A wife is called to submit to her husband. She has to follow his guidance and leadership. She has to be willing to let him be the leader in the relationship. And he says the other part of it is that husbands have to step up. They have to provide that leadership. They have to love their wives. They have to be willing to make sacrifices to make sure that it goes good for their wives. And you know, last week we heard about wives. Maybe some of you women went home last week and you... You thought, man, was that ever hard? Got to submit. Got to listen. You got to do what the husband says. What a difficult place to be in. Well, if you think that's hard, then think about the husband. You husbands have to be like Christ. The church, sorry, the wife has to be like the church, but the husband has to be like Christ. Christ laid his life down for his bride. You men need to lay your lives down for your wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We're going to see in the first place Christ's love for his church, and then secondly, the husband's love for his wife. So what does it mean 
for a husband to be the head of his wife? How did Christ love his church? Well, to be the head means that you have guidance, you have authority. You're the one who's able to, to set the stage, to set the direction, and you need to step up, and you need to make that happen. But you have to understand in the scriptures, if you have authority, if you're the one who provides the guidance, then the reason God gives you authority is always for the sake of the people under your authority. Authority is never self-seeking. Biblically, authority is always serving, and it's intended to serve those who are under you. And so in the marital relationship, the husband is the head, but God says, you husbands, you have to use that authority to serve your wives who are under you. We just read together this passage from Matthew 20, 20 28. You have the mother of Zebedee's son. She goes to the Lord Jesus and she has special requests. She falls on her knees and she says, please, please, can you do this for my sons? Let one of them sit on your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus says to her, lady, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're really asking for. Are you able to suffer? Are they able to suffer as I suffer? And these men, they say, yeah, 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 we can do that. And Jesus says, okay, you'll suffer. You will bear the cup that I bear. But he says, you have to realize, I, it's not my authority to give away those places. That belongs to God. And then he teaches them, and he says, you need to understand that if you have a position of authority, it's not about you. If you have a position of authority, you're different. As my people, you're different than the people in the world around you. He says, the Gentiles, they lord it over others. That's what we see these days. If you have someone who's in government, you have someone who's in a position of authority, then they direct the people under them. You do this, you do that, I got the power, and I'm going to get my way. But Christ says, he says, that's not how it works for you. If you have authority, then you serve. The Son of Man, he gave his life for the well-being of his people. But Christ says there, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's called servant leadership, brothers. You are the leader, but you do so by serving your wife. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives this very vivid demonstration of this himself. He's about to go, John 13, he's about to go into heaven. He's about to receive all authority from his father after he suffers and dies. But before he does that, the first thing he does, is he ties his towel around his waist and he gets down on his knees and he starts washing his disciples' feet. They're kind of like, well, Peter's like, Lord, you don't need to wash my feet. And the Lord says, Peter, I need to wash your feet. And after he does so, then he says, I did this for you as an example. As I have done, you must do. I lay down my life for my people. He told them explicitly, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to suffer and die. And as I lay down my life for you, I set you an example that you do that for those under you. And that's the example for you husbands. At the heart of true leadership... The Lord says you need to serve your wives. And the core of that, 
Scripture says is to love. You men need to love your wives as Christ loved his church. That's really what stands at the heart of servant leadership, is that you care deeply about the people under you, and you do what it takes to make sure that it goes well for them. The word here for love, it's the, the Greek word agape. Agape love is a love that it's motivated in kind affection. You're really affectionate towards your wife. You're very kind in your dealings with her. It's, it's accompanied by this willingness to sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you love someone, then you're willing to sacrifice for that person. You're willing to do whatever it takes in order to make sure it goes well for them. Well, it's agape love that provides the stability and the steadfastness to a relationship. It's a love where you give without thinking about all the things that you're going to get in return. It's a love where you serve. You seek the best interest of the person around you because you just really care about them and you want to go good for them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Really, what, what Paul does here is he works out the idea that he introduced at the beginning of this chapter. In chapter 5, verse 2, there we're told that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And now Paul applies that to marriage and he says, Christ loved us by giving himself up for us. And what that really means, he says, is that he cleanses us by washing with the word. The greatest gift that Christ gives is that he, he washes his church of all their sins. He makes them holy and without blemish, so that when the Father looks at them, that they're restored in a relationship with the Father in heaven. If he really loves his church, the greatest thing he could do is give relationship to them. Relationship between them and his Father. And so that's what he does. He lays down his life so that relationship can be restored. That his people are able to talk to the Father. That they're coming to his presence. That they can know him. That they can depend upon him. And that when the Father looks down on them, that he does so with pleasure. And he shows them his grace and his mercy. Well, the way he cleanses us, he says, with the washing, with the water by the word. That really reminds you of John 17. John 17, Christ prays his high priestly prayer. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now you hear about that, brothers, and you might wonder to yourself, well, what does that mean for me? You know, I'm not my wife's savior. I don't make her clean. I don't wash her. I don't make her holy in God's sight. I don't sanctify her. But you know, the, the point here is that what God calls you to do is to love your wife as he loved his church. So he calls you to serve his wife, your wife. You know, every marriage is different. We're all individuals. We're all different people. Every husband is a different man and every wife is a different woman. And we all have different interests and abilities. We have different limitations. We have different needs. 
And so for a man to love his wife, he needs to know his wife. He needs to know, what does she need? And how can I bless her? How can I help her in this situation? What do I need to do as a husband in my marriage with my wife in order to serve her in love so that it goes good for her? You know what? At one stage, God's going to ask you men that question. He's going to say to you, how did it go in your marriage? How did it go in your family? What did you do to love your wife, to serve her, to look after her? As a pastor, I sometimes get to talk to people when they have difficulties in marriage. I've also had some widows who have been very honest with me, reflecting back on their marriages after their husbands passed away. You know, one of the things that, one of the themes that's come out is that one of the things that wives miss is sometimes they miss their husband setting the spiritual tone in the family. They miss their husband setting the climate in the family in a way that, that's good for the wife and that's good for the kids, that people live in Christ and that there's, there's a real knowledge of who Christ is that there's an outworking of that in the relationships within the home. In your real life, brothers, is your home a place of, of gentleness and patience, of kindness, of compassion? Does your wife, do your children know what it means to be in Christ? Do they know who Christ is? Do they understand what Christ has done for them? Do they understand that they can't do it themselves, but they need God to do it for them? Do they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where they seek him, where they rely upon him, where they understand what that means and they work that out in their lives? Brothers, are you safe? No emotional blackmail? No dumping on your wife? Are you safe enough that she can open your, her heart to you and tell you about the real struggles? Where she's really at? Where the real difficult things in life are? Do you protect your wife? Now, sometimes people push her buttons. Sometimes it's the kids. Sometimes it's the extended family. Sometimes it's others. Do you do you protect her from that? Do you set the boundaries for your family so that she's, she's well protected and that things go well for her? There's a bunch of other things that's included in, in loving your wife. Paul talks about them in the next verses. It's verse 28. There he continues. He says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ is the church, because we are members of his body. And so his point here is, is he's saying, he's saying you need to love your wife because that's the only thing that really makes sense. Because she's a part of your body. You are the head, she's the body, you work together. And Paul says, if you really think about it, you always take really good care of your body. You never let yourself get hurt. You do whatever it takes in order that you don't get hurt. And he's saying that's the kind of attitude that a husband should have towards his wife. You need to, to look after your wife. She's part of you. And then he quotes the, the, 
the institution of marriage is Genesis 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he says, this is a profound mystery. When you're married, you're not two separate people, but you become one flesh. You are one person. It's really very mysterious. But you've become one. And since you are one, the only thing that makes sense is that you take care of yourself. That you take care of your body, you take care of your wife. And then Paul works it out in the next verses, and he, he says there's, there's two things that you need to do for your wife. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. Now the word for nourish here, it means to feed. But it doesn't just mean to feed, it means to feed and care for someone so that they're healthy long term. It's a word that has a, a long term perspective. And so if you, if you eat good food, you know, you, you can eat one healthy meal and then you, you eat all sorts of junk food and whatever else besides it. You're not nourishing. That's not nourishing. That's not, that's not feeding the way that your body needs. But really this word, it refers to, to taking good care of you over the long term. It's sometimes actually also used, the word is also used of educate. That you educate your children so that they come to maturity long term. So that they really grow in maturity over the course of time. Well, that's the first calling for a husband. You provide good long-term care for your wife. Now, the second word is cherish. In the Bible, it's a, it's a word that's also, in the first place, it means that you impart warmth to another. Quite a thought, men, that you impart warmth to your wives. Sometimes it's used of a, of a chicken sitting on her hands, or a, a chicken sitting on her little chicks. She spreads out her wings, and she imparts warmth to the little ones. The only other place it's used in the Bible, it's in two Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. There Paul says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. The word gentle. That's the word there of, of cherishing. There's a tenderness. There's a gentleness. There's a warmth that you have towards your wife. What's a calling for you men? That you're gentle and tender and warm. You cherish her. What does it sound like, men? We're pretty good at fixing things. Tell me what the problem is and I'll get her done and I'll make it right for you. Not always really good at listening, of imparting gentleness and tenderness and warmth. Sometimes we don't feel like sitting around and talking. We feel like doing something. The Lord take, tells you to take some time for your wife, that you listen to her, that you're gentle and tender in your dealings with her. Tenderness usually doesn't do much for a guy. It's the calling that God gives for you men. This is how you need to love your wife. The Apostle Peter, he gives a little different nuance to it. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 there. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You have to live with your wife in an understanding way. 
You could translate it, be considerate of your wives. Just really consider where she's at. You need to consider that she is the weaker vessel. God made men and women different. And you know, we get that physically. Men are stronger physically than women. But sometimes we're not sensitive to the fact that the same, through, the same thing is true emotionally and mentally and maybe even spiritually. You know, women just can't handle as much as a man can. Something goes down, something happens, and it's distressing. And as guys, we deal with that, and we have to do whatever it takes to get through that, and we get through it, we move on with life. And often for the women, it takes more time. They need to process that, and they need to figure it out, and they need the time that it takes in order to be able to deal with that and to put it to rest. And oftentimes, that takes more time. And so God says, he says, you men, be considerate of your wives. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Well, do you do it, brothers? Do you take time for your wives? Do you love them from the heart? Are you warm and tender? Do you nourish your wife long-term so that it goes well for her? Do you listen to her? Are you willing to serve her in love? Now, sometimes there's trouble. If there's trouble, then the Lord says that it's your calling as the man to figure it out in the first place. You are the head. You're responsible for the guidance and direction. And if things are off and if there's trouble in the relationship, then the first place you men need to step up, you need to take responsibility, you need to reset the context so that things go good in a good way. That doesn't mean the wife has no responsibility. One day, the Lord will call her to account for everything that she has done. And she also needs to take responsibility for herself. She needs to step up in whatever way she needs to. But big picture, long term, it is you men whom God will call to account on the great day of judgment. He will ask you to stand up and he'll, he'll focus the question to you. And he'll say to you, how did it go in your marriage and how did it go in your family? And so men, the Lord calls you to stand up. He calls you to love your wives. And next week we'll see he calls you to train your children. And what that also means is for you young men is that you need to, to get ready for that. And the way you young men do it, you, you single young men, is you need to take responsibility for yourself today. Don't be selfish. Don't live for yourself. Don't be lazy. Don't do the, the least that you can get away with. But step up and take responsibility. And do it today. And do it spiritually. And do it for the people around you. And be a contribution in your family. And be a con make a contribution towards your friends. One day, you're going to be the husband. You're going to take responsibility. And if you waste, you know, sometimes it happens. You're 18 years old, you're done school, and you, you get stuck in whatever it is that you get stuck in. And your energy, your attention, your, your life is focused on whatever you like doing, and it's focused on your personal selfish interests. And you live that kind of life, and you lose years you have a year, you have two years, you have five years, you have ten years. And a woman doesn't want to get together with you because she looks at you and she says, this guy doesn't take responsibility. 
And one day you, you realize you need to get it together, and you get it together, and you end up picking up the pieces and starting to move forward in a good direction. The Lord calls you, you young men. He says you need to prepare yourself for the day when you're going to be the head of your wife. You're going to be the father in a home. You're going to take responsibility for the people under your care. And so now is a good time for you to get ready for that. When you think about these things, brothers and sisters, you realize how much we need a Savior? Preach to myself as much as I do to you. And we are those who, who don't always take responsibility. We don't always love our wives. Not always warm and tender. Not always caring and patient. We don't always serve our wives in the way that they need. So it takes a lot of humility. And that's the calling as well. That's where it starts. If you want to repent, if you want to be different, then it starts with the humility of acknowledging where you've fallen short. That you put that on the table, that you ask God for forgiveness, and that you plead with him for his grace. And he will forgive you. He'll forgive you for all the things that you've done in the past where you failed to live up to your role as a husband and a father. If you honestly humble yourself, if you take responsibility, he'll wipe it clean. He'll show you grace. Because that's who he is. And that's what he loves to do. And if you look to him for help, then he'll make you into a new man. He'll make you into someone who doesn't evade responsibility, but who takes the responsibility. Who steps up for his wife, and who sets a context where things are healthy, and where things are good. That it's his glory. That's the role. He is our savior. He is the one who makes his church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in his sight. And he does that for you men as well as for the wives and for the rest of us. And so you can go to him, you can confess your sin, you can ask for his grace, and you can pray for the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And he will do that. He loves to do that. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And then God, he finishes off this section, he has, he has one more thought. And he says, actually, in the last thought, he says, you need to understand how important this is. This is not a little thing. But this is huge. In the end, what he says is he says that your relationship, your marriage, is telling a story. And it's telling a story about God. When Paul says that it is a profound mystery that husband and wife become one in marriage, then the very next verse, he continues and he says, but actually, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what he's saying is he's saying that when you live together as one, in unity together as husband and wife, when you love each other and when you serve each other the way God intends, then he's saying actually what you're doing is you're giving a picture of who Christ is and how Christ relates to his church. And who gets front row seats in the theater of your marriage? It is your children. Your children. They see the way that father and mother relate to each other. They see the way that a husband relates to his wife and the way that a wife relates to her husband. And when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, and when a wife submits to her husband the way that the church submits to Christ, 
then your parents get to see a little bit of the relationship of what it looks like for us as the people of God to live in relationship with God. They get to see who God is. And that's the ultimate calling for you husbands. You're giving a picture to your children, to the people around you, to the community, to those around you of who God is. How God relates to his people. When there is love, when there's peace, when there's unity, when there's warmth, when there's tenderness, when there's affection, then you give a good picture of God. And then your children, they grow up and they, they realize that God is loving, and that God is trustworthy, that God is patient, that God is warm. And when your children realize that, then deep down, they know how to relate to God. Then they trust him, and they love him, and they seek him, and they have a relationship with him. And if you're not, if you're not loving, if you're not faithful, if you don't have unity with your wife, the worst thing is if you commit adultery, then in your end, in the end, your children, they learn that God is not trustworthy, that he's not faithful, that you can't, you can't count on him. That's the point that God makes in Malachi 2, verse 14 and 15. God says, I hate divorce. He says, I hate it. And I'm not going to bless you. Because you're not faithful to the wife of your youth. And why does he want them to be faithful? Because he says, he's seeking godly offspring. Having godly offspring is closely associated with husband and wife being faithful to each other in marriage. And that makes sense. If your marriage is a picture of the relationship that Christ has with his church, and if you are not faithful to your husband or if you're not faithful to your wife in marriage, many times that has serious impact for your children. And then we really, again, we need the grace of the Lord, brothers and sisters, because... We're not faithful because we are those who commit adultery and we are those who get divorced. And then we need God to put it together for our children. Well, then you see the seriousness of it here, brothers and sisters. You need Christ. You need to believe in him. You need to put your hope and trust in him. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a father and mother of children, that one of the best ways you can love your children, one of the best things you can ever do for them, is that you love each other as husband and wife with a sincere love. That you care deeply for each other. And that you live together as husband and wife under God's blessing. And if you step up by God's grace, if you rely upon the Spirit of God, if you humble yourself and if you seek His help, then He will live in you. And He'll make you into beautiful people. And then you'll have a beautiful marriage. You create this context where God grants his blessing to your children. And if that's fallen away for some reason, brothers and sisters, then again, you humble yourself before God. You ask him for his grace and forgiveness. You pray to him that today you take responsibility and that starting today that you seek to help and bless your children, your family. And the Lord loves to do that. He loves to help you. And he loves to put together those things that are broken. That's who he is. 
And it's what he does. He is our Savior. He is a Redeemer. He does for us what we fail to do. Christ laid down his life for his church. And he's promised that when you look to him in faith, that he will grant you his blessing. Amen. Let's sing together Psalm 112, the verses 1, 2, and 3. now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, we'll remember some members of our congregation. In the first place, we'll remember the, um, the Harama family. So that's the, uh, especially the mother of our sister Rose Vandenberg and Des Harama and their family. So their mom is currently in palliative care. And she went to the hospital this past week and she's very ill. And they're at the stage where she's nearing the end of her life. And so we'll pray to God that God would comfort the family and help them through this time and be near to her as well. The other thing is also their father also was in the hospital. He was quite sick in the last couple of weeks, 
Um, thankfully, he's returned to Fairhaven, and um, he's gotten over that, but he's also a really old man. So we'll pray to God that God would care for this family. Then we'll also remember our sister Anadique. Um, so Anna's scheduled to go to the hospital later on this week. She, um, sometimes she needs doctor's care, and she actually she has severe allergic reactions to different antibiotics, and that has potential to be quite um, traumatic and difficult. So they're going to try to figure that out and see if they have something that they can use to help her. Let's pray to God. Dear Father in heaven, we, we come to you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. Thank you for the instruction of your word this morning. Thank you that you, that you call husbands to love their wives as Christ loved his church. Now we ask, Lord, that you would equip and enable us to do that. Father, we want to, to bring our marriages before your throne of grace. We want to pray for your help in them. Help us as husbands that we may love our wives and that we may lay down our life for our wives. Lord, you did that for your church. You gave us the example that we should do likewise. Pray that we can have warmth for our wives, that we can care for her long term, that we seek her best interest. Please help us, Lord, to be patient and kind, to be gentle and compassionate, to be willing to serve, to seek her best interest in the first place instead of being selfish. Please take away all pride. Please help us, Father, to, to also... Do what it takes for her to thrive, especially spiritually, that we can set the spiritual climate in our homes where we love you and where we, where we serve you faithfully, where we assist our wives and children to do the same, where we set the context that your name and your glory is the first and the most important thing in our families. Father, we need your help in that. And so we pray to you that you, that you give us your assistance. We also ask them in this way that that our wives can thrive, that they can have shining eyes, that they're secure in our love, and that, they, that things may go well for them. Father, we have to confess to you how often and how many ways we have failed. There's so many ways in which we've been selfish instead of serving, which we've been proud instead of humble. It's times where we've been short. We want to fix the problem and move on with life instead of taking the time to understand where our wife's really at and what's really going on for her, and what the struggles of her heart are. Instead of being considerate, living in an understanding way, we've often been, been harsh in our dealings. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness for that. Sometimes it's even been more serious, that we, we haven't treated our wives well, we've allowed things to go on long-term, and that we've really caused a lot of distress for our wives. Some of us have, have been divorced. Sometimes... The reason for that is because of adultery. And Lord, we, we pray for your forgiveness for all our sins. We ask for your grace. We ask, Lord, that you show us mercy for Jesus' sake. We pray that, that you bless us instead, that we can be filled with your spirit, that you wash us with water through the word, that you fill our hearts with the spirit so that our homes and our families and our marriages can be beautiful places where there's, where there's life and vitality and an abundance of joy. Lord, thank you that these are gifts that come from you, that you have the power to make it happen, and that you delight to give that to us. And we pray that you do that in a rich way through the Holy Spirit. Thank you that Christ did it for us, and we, we depend upon him, and we look to him in faith. Father, we also pray that you would please bless our families, pray that you 
be with the single men in the congregation here. I want to ask, Lord, that you help them take responsibility for themselves, especially the young men, Lord. Grant that they're not selfish in the, their approach to life, but that they may use their lives in service before you, that they love you, and that they seek to use the gifts that they have to serve you, that they learn how to have healthy relationships, and that they, they take responsibility for the people around them. Lord, to this end, please, please save the young men from addictions to gaming or to, maybe it's to, to alcohol or to pornography. Please save them from, from not taking responsibility, but grant that they're willing to, to settle down in life. Grant that they're able to be responsibly financially, that they can take responsibility for themselves and that it make a well for them. Please grant, Lord, that in this way that they can also set the context for beautiful marriages. Thank you, Lord, that you are sanctifying us. Also for, for these young men, that this is a process. They need to grow up into this. That this is the work that you will accomplish through your spirit. Give us great faith in Jesus Christ so that this can happen. And help us for his name's sake, we pray. Also pray in our congregation, Lord, that there can be a beautiful spirit where we're able to speak together about what's really going on in our lives. Grant that we can have vulnerability with each other, that we open our hearts to one another to tell not just of the joys and the, the blessings, but also the struggles and the challenges that we face. And grant then that we, that we have a spirit of humility, that we can love each other and care for each other, that we can assist each other as we walk through these things and help us to have that same spirit in our dealings with others. Father, thank you that you give your spirit and that we can be a light on a hill. We pray that you would bless many others who come to us that they can see what a, what a godly life looks like and that they can live by your spirit and that they can, can understand who you are and what Christ has done for us. We also pray, Lord, that you take care of each one of us in the individual circumstances of our lives. We think especially of the, the Harima family. Pray, Lord, that you be with our sister Rose and our brother Des and their families and, and the extended family, that you comfort them. Please especially be near to their mother who's in palliative care. Pray, Lord, that you give her the peace of Christ that you will be near to her, that you carry her in time where she can't do it herself, that you show her, her lo your love, and that in your time that you bring her home to glory. And we also pray for, for their father as well. He's also an old man, and he, he also needs your help, and, and we pray that you would be near to him, that you love and care for him. Father, thank you that, that you promised to do so. We're grateful for the work of Fairhaven, thankful for, for all those who, who serve there, looking after the elderly members of our churches. We pray, Lord, for your blessing, that it may go well, that it can be a real spirit of, of care and consideration, and that you grant your grace so that there can be good unity and that things may go well. It's also grant the financial means that are needed. And we thank you, thank you for, for blessing the organization with what they need. And then, Father, we also wish to bring our sister Anna Deke before your throne of grace. This week, the, the doctors are going to try to figure out what's going on with her her reactions to antibiotics, please grant, Lord, that they're able to, to discern what's going on and that they're able to help her with that. Please be with her, sister, Lord. She has various health concerns at different times in different ways. Be a father to her, and please carry her and comfort her. Give her the health that she needs, and, and please give her the strength that she needs as well. Bless her and her husband together, and bless their marriage, and, and be close to them. Thank you, Lord, for, for all the, the other gifts that you give us, so many members in our church who have various concerns, sometimes health concerns. Some of us have been in accidents. Sometimes there's, there's other significant events that are going on in our lives. Please, 
be a father to us during this time. Grant most of all, Lord, that we may trust in you, that we depend upon you and expect our help from you. Lord, we also wish to thank you for the blessing that you've given our Federation of Churches. We're grateful that, that Brother Rodney Dimboer is able to accept the call to Darling Downs, and we wish to ask you for your blessing over him, Lord. Grant that he's able to sustain his class exam, that he can give a good testimony of what he's learned, and that he can show that he's able to serve as a minister of the gospel. And we pray that in due time that he takes up his task and that he, he can serve your church and that you would grant your blessing over them. Father, thank you for raising up young men to, to be busy in preaching the gospel. And we pray that you would raise many more to do this task. We also grant, we pray that you would grant your blessing over the, the thank offerings that we bring before you. Thankful, Lord, that we're able to, to collect for, for those who need help in different ways. This morning we get to, to collect for the South African needy churches. And then with your blessing also this afternoon, we get to collect for the mission work in PNG. But please, please grant that, that our gifts can be of service and that it may go well for, for your people. We ask for a blessing over the mission work that's being done. We're grateful that, that Reverend Pohl can be in the RCBC, that he's able to, to help teaching. And we pray that that may go well for them. He's able to be a blessing for the community there and also for him and his wife, that they can establish relationships and that they can be blessed through that. Father, we also pray that you would please grant your blessing over the congregation of Wantoon. They're in the process of building this church building. Please grant that, that that may go well, that they can finish the work. And please grant that this may serve as a blessing for the community, that they can be bound together in love and unity together, and that this building can be useful for them in serving your name. Father, thank you that we can ask these things of you. And, and thank you for your grace and help. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you indeed have the opportunity to serve God with your thank offerings. The collection is for the needy churches of South Africa. And then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 66, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
receive now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.